Well, as I said, it's, it's so good to have everybody join us at the Vineyard. I mean, it's, it's great to be able to meet in person again. Would you agree? I mean, to quote an old favorite Joni Mitchell song of mine, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got until it's gone? And, you know, I love that song. I love that, you know, thought. And, you know, I always appreciated our gathering together. But, I mean, I appreciate it even more now that, that you know, we had that ability taken away from us for uh, over a year of uh, not being able to. So, you know, it is good to be here in person. And welcome to those who are joining online. Uh, we're glad you could join us and are really glad that... Uh, uh, looking forward to the day when we can be together all in the same room again. So today we're starting a brand new series I've titled it Keeping It Real. It's a study in 1 John. And this, is, uh, this epistle is about where it's all about where faith intersects with life. Uh, if our faith is genuine, then it's going to have a direct impact on the way we live our lives. And in other words, uh, it's another way of saying if our, uh, uh, wa- that watching how a person lives will tell you what they really believe. Watching their life, not just hearing what they say, but watching their life will tell you what, a, what they really believe. And I want to start with a little bit of background. We're kind of going to do an introduction today. So I want to start with a little background to help us understand the letter better. This is written by the Apostle John. And uh, uh, the one that w- was, you know, the Gospels tell us leaned on Jesus' breast. He was, he was close to him. You know, uh, the Gospel tells us it's the one Jesus loved. Not that, not that Jesus didn't love all the apostles and, and, and all of us, but, or, or not that he was like a, you know, teacher's pet or anything like that. But he knew. He knew he was loved. He knew he was loved. And, and that's, so that's who wrote this epistle, and it's written to a community of believers with which he is well acquainted, um, most likely in or near the city of Ephesus. And as you read this, it's evident in the language that he uses and the style that he writes in that he is very familiar with the recipients of the letter. I mean, he knew them well. He wasn't just, and he wasn't just familiar with them. It's not just that he was acquainted or, or, or knew them well. He writes as one who was responsible for uh, exercising direct pastoral oversight for them. So he had a responsibility for them. And this is why, you know, that, that explains why we don't see, you know, most of the epistles we see a, 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 a salutation and a, a final greeting and that. We don't see that in this letter. We don't see a form, uh, the normal salutation. We don't see the final greetings that are typically found in letters, particularly like if you look at Paul's letters in the New Testament. We don't see that in this letter. And he's writing about a, there had been a recent uh, exodus from this community, and he's writing in response to that. There had been a recent exodus from the community. In other words, some of the group left and started their own community, which was based on some serious doctrinal error. It's not that, that another church was planted out of this church. It was some had left because they had, had been influenced by these false teachers uh, and were b- buying into some serious doctrinal errors. 
the, the, these false teachers or false prophets uh, from the group that, that left and were trying to sway members of the original group to come their way and to, and to buy into what they were teaching. So John writes to confront the error of the false teachers and to strengthen the faith of the community that stayed faithful, the, the, those, the, the true believers. So as we read this book, as we go through it together and as you read it on your own, and I recommend that you be reading this, uh, I, I would read it while we go through the series. I would you know, make it a point to read the book. It's a short book. Just read it every week and, and uh, take a look at it and see what you can see out of it. Um, but as we read through it together, watch for the mention of these false teachers, also known as false prophets, and he also calls them antichrists. Watch for them to come up. Also, as we go through, we're going to see three key recurring themes or thoughts that keep coming up throughout the course of the book. They keep coming up, and they're directly related to our lives as believers today. John cuts through all the peripheral issues surrounding the practice of our faith, and he gives us the bottom line. This is what it's all about. This is what it boils down to. And these three issues that we're going to watch for are, number one, the incarnation of Christ. Number two, and we'll talk about that today. Number two, our love for our brothers and sisters, especially those who are in need. And three, the relationship between sin and those who are children of God. And he addresses how we can know we are really children of God. So those are the key issues we're going to see keep popping up again and again as we work through this letter together. And I've entitled this series, Keeping It Real, because it's about bottom line, basic faith, where the rubber meets the road, Christianity. So let's begin with our first section today. And as we do, let's keep an eye out for these three basic themes. Starting at the beginning, 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Okay, let's look at this. First, notice, again, as I mentioned, there's no formal, formal salutation, because it's not needed. It's not needed because they're well acquainted with the person that's writing, they're well acquainted with John, and, and, he's, and he, he's, he's just writing in his capacity as their overseer. So of our three main themes, what's he hitting at right off the bat? Anybody want to take a guess here? Of our three main themes, what is he hitting at right off the bat? What do we see in this passage? Remember, the themes are, are the incarnation of Christ, our love for our brothers and sisters, and the relationship between sin and those who are the children of God. What? Incarnation, exactly. He's, he's hitting on the incarnation right off the bat. Now, that's a word that we hear sometimes at Christmas time. 
maybe a few other times throughout the year, but mostly at Christmas. What does it mean by incarnation and why does it matter so much? Let's begin by defining it. When we talk about the incarnation of Christ, first of all, it's one of the main doctrines, one of the key central doctrines of our Christian faith. We're saying that God assumed a human nature and became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. That's what we're talking about with incarnation. God became flesh. He didn't stop being God, but now he is not only fully God, he is fully man with a physical body. John is defending the incarnation because that's what the key doctrine was that the false teachers who left them denied. They were denying the incarnation, They're denying that Jesus really came in the flesh. And, and, you know, reminding us what John said in this. He, he talks about that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, uh, uh, we've looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim the, concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, he says. We testify to it. And uh, he says that eternal life which was which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard. So he's, he's, he's hitting this hard. He's saying, he, he's saying I've, we've, heard, you know, we've heard this, we've seen this, we've touched him. You know, our hands have physically touched him. He's adamant about the fact that Jesus appeared in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. We see he does the same thing in the, at the beginning of, of the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of John. He says in John 1.14, he says, The Word, meaning the, 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 the Son of God, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. says the Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. God became man. And the group that left this community of believers were following the false teachers that taught that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that he didn't really have a physical body, that he just appeared to have a physical body. And this error attracted, uh, or excuse me, attacked, attacked the very core of the gospel itself. So John hits it hard right off the bat, head on, when speaking of Jesus, he says he's the word of life who was from the beginning and he's become flesh. It's a direct reference to John 1.1, 1, 1, which says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The second person of the Trinity. And in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, which says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we know that, that it was created through his word. So it's a reference to God and a reference to God then becoming flesh. He's clearly speaking of Jesus, the word of life, God himself, and he says, we heard him speak. You know, we saw him with our own eyes. We looked at him we, with our own hands. We touched him. Jesus, the son of God, had a physical body of flesh. John is writing as a first-hand eyewitness that Jesus came in the flesh. He's also an eyewitness that Jesus was resurrected 
in the flesh. He wasn't just resurrected spiritually. His physical body was resurrected. In Luke 24, Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, and, and uh, he, they, were, they were startled and you know, thought they saw a ghost, it says. But he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he appeared and made it very clear. Another time he appeared to Thomas because Thomas wasn't with him, if you remember, the first time that the resurrected Christ appeared to his disciples. So he appeared to them again, and this time Thomas was with them, and he specifically told Thomas, reach out and touch me. Touch the wounds in my hands. Put your hand in my side and believe. You know, it, 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 he was showing him it really was him risen in the flesh. It wasn't just his spirit. So John speaks in the authority of an eyewitness. Now, what does all this really matter? Well, our faith must be founded on truth. So if this is truth, this matters. Our faith must be founded on truth or it's all going to crumble. The incarnation tells us several things. It tells us, first of all, that in Jesus, God fully entered into our human experience. Fully entered into it. That means that He identifies with us. He suffered pain just like we suffer pain. He suffered rejection just like we suffer rejection. He was misunderstood, just as you and I are misunderstood sometimes. He experienced times of temptation, just like we go through times of temptation. He became tired, just like we become tired. He became hungry, just like we get hungry. He learned obedience, the Bible tells us, just like we learn obedience. You see, this means that when we go through all these things, He can help us because He went through them. When we're going through a time where we're weak, when we're going through a time when we're tired, when we're going through a time when we're struggling, we don't have to be afraid to go to Him and think, what's He going to think of me if I'm not the perfect example of a, of a follower of Jesus? What's He going to... No, He understands those times. He's compassionate on us. He wants us to come to Him because He went through those same things and did it without sin. And therefore, He can help us. He can strengthen us. He can give us the grace that... that that we need. He can give us the confidence and, and the boldness to, to be able to go to Him. You know, we, we like to, to, when we go to somebody that's important, you know, we like to go to them, you know, when we're at our best, right? So they'll think the best of us. Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus knows the truth of us. And He wants us to come to Him when we're not feeling at our best when we are weak, when we are tired, when we are struggling. He wants us to know that we can you know, go right up, to him, right, right, right up to Him and just, as He's seated on the throne, just walk right up and crawl in His lap 
and say, I need help. I'm struggling. He fully identifies with our human experience. This also tells us, because some people have the wrong idea about this, but this also tells us that the physical world and our physical bodies are not evil. They're not evil. Over the years, uh, there have been some who have taught that the spiritual world was good. Whatever was of the spirit was good, but whatever was of this material world was evil, was bad. Um, and and th that's just simply not true. When God finished creation, he looks out, and the Bible tells us that God saw all he had made, and it was very good. The material world is not evil. Now, the world system is another story, okay? That, that's, you know, the ruler of this, of, of this world. That's a, that's a different story. But the world itself, our physical bodies, they're not evil. They're good. God created them good. Another thing it tells us is that being fully human and fully man Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and man. He's a perfect one because he's God and he's man. So he can speak to God for us and he can go to God on our behalf. He's the perfect mediator. Fourth, being fully man and yet without sin, Jesus was able to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin so we could be forgiven. Perfect sacrifice. If he was sinful, if he was if he was sinful, then he would have paid for his own sins. But he wasn't sinful. He was sinless. He had no sin. So being a human with no sin, he could be the perfect sacrifice for all of us so that we could be forgiven. And because Jesus died a physical death and was physically resurrected, we have confidence that we too will be physically resurrected. We will join in the resurrection of the dead. Our physical bodies will be raised. That's the message the Apostle John so clearly and boldly proclaimed. Jesus, the Word of Life, the Son of God, took on human flesh and lived among us. He was real. And that matters a great deal. It matters what we believe about Jesus. It really does. We don't get to pick and choose who he is or what we believe about him. In fact, no matter what else you believe about Jesus... To be a Christian means that you believe in the incarnation, that you believe that Jesus is God come in the flesh. To believe otherwise is to believe in a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Gospels. That's why John makes it so clear all throughout this letter. You know, there's some things in our faith that we can hold different views on. You know, we can differ with other believers in end-time events. You know, is, is, is Jesus going to come, 
you know, at the beginning of the rapture, in the middle of the rapture, after the rapture, is there even going to be a rapture? Is there going to be a millennial reign? Is there not going to be a millennial reign? There's all kinds of stuff like that we can disagree or that, that we can have whole different views on, whole different opinions on. Um, method of baptism, you know, whether somebody is baptized by dunking like we practice here or by sprinkling or, you know, there, there, there's different ways that different faith traditions in the church believe. And, and you know, uh, we, that's okay. Those aren't things that separate us. Those aren't things that, that determine our fellowship, whether we can fellowship with someone or not. But this isn't one of those things. Believing that in Jesus, God came in the flesh is crucial to our faith. It's crucial to our faith. And otherwise, it's a different Jesus that we're following. And that's why John makes such an issue of it in this letter. Believing the truth of the incarnation is a condition of fellowship. It opens the door to true fellowship with the church and with God. John writes in verse uh, 3 and 4 here, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Because of the incarnation, we have fellowship with the church, with each other, we have fellowship also with God. Now, fellowship. It's a word that we toss around a lot in Christian circles. Um, it's not just hanging around after church and talking. Okay, it's, that's, that's a valid expression of it. Okay, that's a valid expression of it. But the word for fellowship here is speaking about participating together or sharing together in the supernatural life of the historical Jesus, the Word of life, the Son of God. We share that life on a horizontal plane with each other, and we share it vertically with God. And as we experience that kind of fellowship and community with each other, that fellowship opens up the door to true, real, genuine joy. True joy is found as we share the supernatural life of Jesus in a community of believers that's based on truth. Based on truth. Our archery group that I mentioned earlier, we get together and we, we have fun. We have fun shooting. I've loved shooting since I was in high school. Actually, I liked playing with a toy bow and arrow when I was a kid. I'd take the suction cup, or, cup off the end of the arrow, you know, the toy arrows. I'd put it in a pencil sharpener, sharpen it, and I'd go down my basement and shoot at cardboard boxes. I did that all the time. Um, I never grew out of it, you know. I uh, grew up rowing, you know, watching Robin Hood and all that. And so, so all, all that to say, we get together and we have fun. We have a good time when we shoot. But that's not true joy. 
I may experience moments of joy with that. I do, but that's not the kind of joy we're talking about. The kind of joy we're talking about is when we share in that supernaturally, supernatural life of Christ together. That's a joy that goes deeper than, than anything else we will ever experience, deeper than any, uh, any best experience that we could have anywhere else. That's the kind of joy that God wants us to have. And it comes, it's founded on truth. It's not founded on getting together to have fun together. It's founded on truth. That Jesus, the Son of God, is God in the flesh. What we believe about Jesus matters. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just someone with, who has good advice to follow if we feel like it. Uh, he's not just a man who went about doing good things for people. Jesus is the Word of life, the Son of God, come in the flesh, and when we know Him as He truly is and walk in His truth, we will know life as He wants us to know it. We will know the joy that He wants us to know. Truth matters. For next week, I'd like you to read 1 John, as we already said. Particularly pay attention to the first couple of chapters because we're going to be uh, talking some more about that. We won't get all the way through too, but we're going to talk about some things there. So, so as you read that, pay, pay attention to it and just take a moment as you read and say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to see in this? What do you have for me in this? Um, that's our homework for next week. Um, all right, let's pray. Father, as we look into this book of First John, as we start this week with it, and as we continue for the upcoming weeks, as we read it, help us to know you better. Help us to know your truth more. Teach us what we need to know. Show us how we need to live. Lord, we don't want our relationship to you to be based on just coming together on Sunday morning and that's it. We want our relationship with you to be every day, all through the day. Whether we're engaging in spiritual activities or just our day-to-day -day job, we know you always see us. We know you're always present with us. So Lord, help us, show us how to glorify you in our everyday lives all the time. Help us to be like a sponge and soak up your truth. If we have any false beliefs, any beliefs that aren't quite right, don't line up to what you want us to believe, then show us that. Because we choose to believe 
the truth of who you are, and we choose to follow you. So help us to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss in a moment. Um, I've already talked about the, uh, 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 the options on the offering and that. And if you're here and you have